Okay, I had to walk about 100 yards before I found a uh, half of a narrowhead. And uh, I was just laying there on top of uh, uh, some base rock with some other sediment. Probably washed there after a rain. And, uh, you know, the tendency is when you get down here, even people who are very conscious about um, preserving antiquities, the first time they get out here, and the first time they see something like this, and they actually see it laying on the ground, the tendency is for that person to think, well, that's just one little tiny thing, and I can take it home and keep it in my, keep it in my drawer in the, in the house. I'd love to have a souvenir. And so it gets picked up, and somehow... The person just forgets about it being in their pocket because that's how the only way they're going to get it home is if they forget about it, don't get a guilty conscience. And uh, off it goes, one little piece. And the problem is that now that uh, this place has become so popular is that one little piece is going to turn into a million pieces and a couple of million pieces after several years. And whatever is left here is going to be gone. An interesting thing out here uh, in this country, when you bring people out here, they expect to see certain things. And one of the things that they expect to see is rattlesnakes. Like this is rattlesnake country. I haven't seen a snake out here in this country for years, and uh, which is good because I think about them often while I'm walking around out here. And uh, when I was in Saudi Arabia working for the Red Crescent, I uh, was in charge of doing a project on envenomation syndromes. And I went to the zoo in Jeddah and worked with the, serp the herpetologist there and uh, all it did was traumatize me. So I have, <laughs> I have uh, what I would call snake PTSD. So I'm always looking for snakes. What a gorgeous view. Oh, there, there's another set of ruins across the canyon. Today I found myself in a canyon on the backside of Comb Ridge, a feeder canyon to Butler Wash on the east slope of Comb. There was a lot of rappelling and some potholes and some serious scrambling and in the dirt on one of the small faces that I had to scramble up I found this old coffee tin lid. One of the old ones that had to be opened by pulling a strip of metal off the can with a key that you, that you turned. It had to be 80 to 100 years old, and on it it said, Maury's Solitaire Coffee. Now I have a big imagination, and I immediately started thinking about cowboys and miners, and for some reason I thought about Hay Duke. 
Hey Duke. The, uh, the tin was too old for uranium miners, I think. Maybe not. But I think it was more likely uh, a cowboy or a settler relic. And why I thought about Hey Duke, I have no idea, but I did. And that started me thinking about the Monkey Wrench Gang for some reason. And then I started thinking about uh, that scene where they're on the top of Comb Ridge and the bulldozers are ripping out the trees and flattening the road, blading off the soil and ripping up loose stone and scraping the bedrock and Hey Duke. They're all watching this from the top of Comb Ridge. Hey Duke just wanted to keep the place roadless. But the truth is, Hey Duke was about 40 years too late for that part of the country. When I think about Abby's books, I have to admit that I, I never really uh, connected with them much. Um, it's not that I didn't like his writing, it's, it's just that it, uh, it wasn't inspi particularly inspiring to me. Although I did like Desert Solitaire, it was my favorite. And there's a, a uh, oh, that's it. There's the, the coffee tin connection. Desert Solitaire, Maury Solitaire Coffee. Okay, it's, it's funny how my brain works. Um, anyway, back to Abby. Abby's characters in those books seemed a little bit too cavalier for me. Uh, they're kind of womanizing in some cases, and, and there were a lot of instances in those books where they threw cigarette butts and beer cans out on the roadside or left them behind just adding to the mess, and I never really understood that. Anyway, um, that led me to th be thinking about that big giant gash in the middle of Comb Ridge, that big hole where highway, that was blasted out so that Highway 95 could go through it. And I started thinking about how it got there. And it's pretty interesting, and I'm not really sure that I've got everything completely accurate. Uh, there are so many different things that happened, but I'm gonna I'm gonna share what I know with you, and uh, let's just start out by saying that about 40 years before Desert Solitaire was published, there was already a road going to Natural Bridges from Blanding. It was a primitive track, and it had been built by the LaSalle National Forest of all people. It followed existing 19th-century wagon tracks that swung north all the way around the ridge in Bears Ears and eventually down toward Height. Prior to that, there were only a couple of ways to get, get into Glen Canyon from this side. One was to, to run Cataract Canyon, and the other was to go back on uh, the Hole, hole in the Rock uh, Trail, and that, that uh, San Juan Hill was closed in 1881, that, that road. Anyway, the, the, the LaSalle National Forest Trail was eventually graded in 1946, and it was realigned a couple of times, first by the Atomic Energy Commission in the 1950s. And that was the Dugway, <clears throat> the old, what they call the old Dugway. The location of the old Dugway, that road, was chosen by survey crews who had apparently talked to locals, and locals had told them about Posey's Trail, and somehow the surveyors thought that that might mean that they could take advantage of some breach in the, in the ridge there. Uh, didn't work out, I don't believe. Uh, 
At a break in the top, the crews came down about 50 feet through the top layer and then hit the face. And so uh, two crews started working, one from the top, one from the bottom. The one at the bottom um, worked their way up the talus and built the road up through the talus, and the one at the top started down the face and met the bottom crew. They met on the face in the uh, winter of 1953, 1952 and 1953. And by the summer of uh, 1953, they had graded the road. This provided easier hauling and, and definitely provided for easier mine development. And so it was a big boom for that area. In the early 1970s, another alignment was made which moved the cut south to where it is now. Uh, that road was paved and completed on the bicentennial in 1976. And for that reason and that reason only, it's called the Bicentennial Highway. It's, it hasn't got some special meaning, it's just the Bicentennial Highway. Anyway, so I'm not knocking Hey Duke, I'm just saying. The roads were there a long time ago. And Hey Duke's uh, peeve was not with the uh, road. I, I should say Abby's. Uh, complaint was not a, about the, the dirt road. He did not object to the dirt road. He objected to the pavement because the pavement road was a straight shot in and out, would bring people in fast and get them through fast without them being able to stop and appreciate it. He also didn't like the steel bridges. And, and one thing he did not like, he really hated, and I hate as well, as much as he did, is that big gaping hole in that beautiful face of Comb Ridge. I can't believe they did that. Anyway, um, oh, I should, I should tell you, I don't know if you know this, but in April of 1975, the year, bef the year before the, the uh, road was dedicated, uh, Abby had been uh, watching the crews and working and he snuck with a friend into White Canyon. And he actually did put sugar into equipment fuel tanks and caused $20,000 worth of damage, which in those days was quite a bit. Uh, and you know what he called that? research for his book. 